One of the first things Missourians asked me when I moved to the state years ago was, where are you from? I say, originally, I'm from Napa, California. Now, I typically get two responses. One, how did you end up here? Or two, oh, you know Missouri saved the wine industry, right? To be honest, I hadn't heard that story, but I was definitely intrigued. My hometown is known for world-class wine. Maybe you've heard the story or even seen the movie Bottle Shock, but Napa came out on top in a now infamous blind wine tasting challenge in France in the 1970s called The Judgment of Paris. The win put Napa and California on the map for viticulture and enology. That's the cultivation of grapes and the science of winemaking. It's a $50 billion industry for Napa County. Missouri wines stand proudly worth $3.2 billion. Fun fact, before Prohibition, Missouri was the number two producing state for wine just behind New York. Today, it runs in the middle of the pack with about 1,700 acres of vineyards. Now, while the Paris Challenge may have put Napa on the map for award-winning wine, Missouri may have put the U.S. on the map a century before for the different monumental event of saving the global industry. That is, unless you ask someone from Texas. You see, around 1860, a nasty little bug started messing with the premier region for winemaking, France. A special horticultural technique ends up saving the ravaged vineyards over there. Indeed, Missouri and Texas both tell this story up to that point. But that's where the stories diverge. I love a good science sleuthing story, so let's figure this out once and for all, shall we? Who is right? Which state saved the wine industry? Welcome to Show Me the State the program where we explore the strange, misunderstood stories of Missouri's past and try to figure out what really happened, why it happened, and how that shaped the state today. I'm Christopher Husted. You're listening to the Show Me the State podcast from KBIA 91.3 FM. Find more episodes on KBIA.org or any of your podcast apps. Back to the show. All right. Well, it began as a tiny pinprick. It began in a, uh, in a village called Rockamar. That tiny pinprick, in this case, is a tiny bug that proves to be the near downfall of the global wine industry as the world knew it. But that comes a little later in the story, which journalist, author, and wine historian Christy Campbell will be helping us tell. Before we get to which state really saved the wine industry, let's go back to 1860. Imagine you're a vigneron, a French grape grower, near the southern coast of France. It's a beautiful day, the sun is shining, the birds are singing, and the wind rustles through the grape leaves in your acres of vines. Wait, what are those? Those brownish yellow spots weren't there yesterday. You rack your brain. Is it the soil? How's the weather been lately? Over the next few days, then months, you watch your vineyard slowly wither with no visible cause spreading in the direction of the wind. What is this unseen killer? As you can imagine, the French wine industry at the time is the great, it's, it is France. It, it, it's, it's, it's the most prestigious thing they have. Wine is France. France is wine. 
France losing wine would be like a bird losing flight. As the invisible killer slowly spreads further by the end of the decade, enough of a wave is made that the scientific community is starting to mobilize in search of an answer. They were lucky. Under their noses was a man called Jules-Emile Planchon, who was from the Hero. He was uh, quite humble. He was born in a region called the Cévennes, which is, which is mountainous. The Hero is a stretch of land roughly the same length as the distance from Colombia to St. Louis. That strip contains both the vine problem and the man determined to find the answer. Planchon is an apprentice to a pharmacist where he concocts herbal medicines. So his training had been like a medieval training, like a medieval monk. He'd, he'd learned how to make herbal remedies and was so talented at it, he went to, he was uh, got a scholarship to go to Kew Gardens, a very famous uh, botanical centre in, in southwest London. Planchon is middle-aged with low hair and a floppy bow tie. He could easily be confused with a composer of his time. But now he is neither composer nor pharmacist. He's more of a Sherlock Holmes botanist, a detective hunting down Europe's most wanted. And where does he start? The root of the problem. He quite early on realized that this wasn't um, anything to do with soil or bad farming or an act of God or punishment. This was something attacking, the, something as yet unknown, attacking the roots. Could it be a fungus? Uh, could it be uh, an insect? Getting warmer. And one lucky day in 1868, chipping away the pickaxe, he uprooted a vine and found lots of yellow spots on the roots. And when he looked more closely at them, he could see a mass of mysterious insects happily sucking away, uh, unknown to, to unknown to French science at that, at that time. Discovered the phylloxeraphid. Eureka. The killer, even though he didn't know exactly what species it was, had been caught red-handed munching on the roots of the European grapevine, and not a minute too soon. By 1868, a major chunk of land in southern France is infected. But where did this tiny root-sucking aphid, or louse, come from? And more importantly, how do you kill it? To answer the first question, Planchon, remember he's a botanist, reaches out to his scientific colleagues. He collects samples during the winter where tiny clusters of aphid on roots seem to be hibernating until the spring. He sends those out. Scientific commissions are created to investigate. Even scientists across the Atlantic Ocean are racking their brains, pouring through the literature, looking for any semblance of a yellowish bug that attaches to roots. In the meantime, French winemakers are attempting to kill the pests without destroying the vines. In the U.S., chemicals were used to kill insects. Maybe that would work here. The Grand Vineyard, who made this, this uh, exquisite nectar, which was exported to the, the rich of the New World and to Great Britain, um, uh, wherever fine wines were drunk, refused to turn to insecticidal chemicals, carbon by, by sulfide, made on an industrial scale injected into the ground by armies of, of, uh, of workers, shipped around France by railway, and they were known as the sulfurists, the sulfurizers. But this was expensive and didn't really kill the bugs. What about drowning the bugs? So flooding is on submersion is clearly an answer. So where you had access to large quantities from a canal or close to the sea or um, uh, a river, with pumps, steam-powered pumps, you could flood 
a plague, for example. This only worked for vineyards near water or flat ground, not a great solution for the hillsides or terraces that made up some of the best vineyard locations in the world. They tried other ideas too. One person suggested introducing ants to scarf down the aphids. Anything to get rid of these bugs. Oh, they had a, a machine which had a drum on it, which beat the ground. It was meant to terrify the insects and drive them away. <laughs> uh, marching, marching bands, um, holy relics left in the soil. So it was. It was this obviously didn't work either. None of these did, and the problem was only spreading. By the 1890s, there was hardly any land untouched by the aphid. Its tentacles reached out globally. From Australia and South America to almost everywhere wine grapes were grown. Uh, it was an international phenomenon, um, and nature has a habit of globalizing before you know it's happening and biting back when it finds a chink in the armor that man makes around his, as it were, artificial tinkering with what the fruits of nature are, and wine is one of the greatest fruits of nature. It even struck home for Americans who used the same vine species. The Californian wine industry makes a very, very, very good wine based on Vitis vinifera, on the European uh, 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 grapevine, uh, which indeed had to be reintroduced into, ca into California in the 1890s and 1900s, when it too succumbed to the phylloxera. Speaking of home, how does Missouri play into this? Aren't we thousands of miles away from the problem? Yes, and sometimes a different viewpoint is all that's needed. First, we need to look at what Missouri's wine landscape looked like in the back half of the 19th century. We know probably right after the Civil War, Missouri was probably the number one uh, or number two grape growing and winemaking uh, right behind New York or right in front of New York. Jim Anderson is the director of the Missouri Wine and Grape Board. He says Missouri was a booming melting pot for wine culture. It held the Germans in Hermann, the Italians in St. James, Rolla, and some French settlements around St. Genevieve. As France becomes more desperate for a working solution, it expands the search. What we start seeing then, a plea from the French government, really, to, to the world. And uh, there was a couple viticulturalists, one, really two of them being from Missouri, the University of Missouri. Uh, Charles Raleigh, which we recognize in our wine competition, being the most, uh, probably most decorated. Stepping up to the plate is Missouri's very own Charles Valentine Riley, or C.V. Riley. In reality, this story involves more characters than a Game of Thrones episode, but for the sake of the story, we are focusing on the big players. C.V. Riley is born in London and immigrates to the U.S. at 17 years old, where his budding love of bugs blossoms. The dark, mustachioed man looks and dresses like a cool professor with his wavy hair parted on the side. The Missouri Department of Agriculture taps him for a role in 1868. C.V. Riley, he was a, really a viticulturist here at the University of Missouri and, uh, like I said, worked closely with the industry. At this point in time, remember, everyone is reading everyone's research, trying to determine if they have come across certain pests in their own research. C.V. Riley reads about a mysterious insect gnawing at grapevine roots in southeast France. He realizes that sure sounds a lot like the grape leaf gall louse he studied in America that he wrote about in 1866. 
a louse that comes from the eastern U.S. and originally made its way over to Europe on plant cuttings and shipments from the U.S. Yes, it turns out that Phylloxera is an invasive species that hitchhiked to Europe from America. And that brings us back to France's plea to the world. So we have Planchon's research on locating the problem. He also documents the complex lifestyle of the parasitic culprit, which illuminates how the vines ultimately succumb to the damage. And we have C.V. Riley's identification of the species and its American origin. Although it takes years of convincing French officials to accept these truths, they finally do. Riley knows the bug is American in origin, and he studies it for weaknesses and discovers the biggest clue to help with the great wine blight. He started really finding out that this is a root louse that attacks the root system that American grapes, uh, that being like our Norton grape that we grow here, also our Catawbas and some of these other grapes, were resistant to it. Through centuries of evolution and battling the phylloxera bug, American grapevines had learned how to live alongside the insect without getting harmed. And with that clue, a solution to the parasitic problem across the globe. Armed with a resistant grapevine, French officials line up three strategies. Strategy number one, buy American. So what they did in the early 1870s was import a lot more vines from the United States, crossing the Atlantic by steam in 12 days, shipped straight into Marseille, up into the uh, hot, uh, hot midi area, uh, into the ground, and they made grapes from American vines. The French were looking for an American vine that would create a similar taste and function to their own beloved Vitis vinifera. Strategy number two, crossbreed the vine species through hybridization. You can make hybrids from um, hybrid seeds and, and grow them and nurture them from one, one vine another. They were trying to create a hybrid American-French vine that could go directly into the ground be resistant to phylloxera, and produce nearly the same wine that had been grown before. That process can take years, though. The third solution being developed was combining the two species by grafting American rootstock to the French Vitis vinifera vines. They very carefully and cleverly um, uh, realized that, that by grafting the top of a you know, you know what a graft is, you cut the bit off and you, you, you cut a V in, the, in another plant, put it together, wrap it around with a bit of paraffin wax, and it will make, it will heal and will grow. With three possible solutions on the table, the French wine industry seems hopeful. America was the problem and now can be the solution. Now, where to find the American vines for import? Missouri? Maybe Texas? We'll be right back. You're listening to our award-winning podcast, Show Me the State, from KBIA 91.3 FM. You can find more episodes on KBIA.org on any of your podcast apps or even Spotify. We delve into a lot of Missouri history with some of our most knowledgeable experts. Just search for Show Me the State. Okay, back to the program. Let's recap where we're at. France is infested with American aphids that are destroying the vineyards there. American vines are resistant to this aphid, or louse, commonly called phylloxera. 
There are three possible solutions on the table. One, plant American vines in France. Two, crossbreed the species to make a hybrid French-American vine. And three, graft American rootstock to French vines. We've talked a lot about Missouri's C.V. Riley, who identified the bug. But remember when I said researchers across the world were reaching out to each other and reading each other's studies? That was happening in Texas, too. Introducing Thomas Volney Munson, known by his peers as T.V. Munson. Well, the, the, the story of uh, Munson's life, he was born in Illinois, went to college in Kentucky, uh, Andrew and Snyder is the a, director a, a of viticulture and oenology at Grayson College in Texas. Grapes were his his keen interest, and so he traveled across Texas and, as far as I understand, across the Southwest, collecting samples of wild and native grapes, and then he used those samples in hybridizing and, and trying to put together his own varieties. The tall, bearded T.V. Munson had joined two of his brothers in Denison, Texas. He called it his great paradise. By traveling around the Southwest and collecting various vines to hybridize, he also grew quite a reputation, even crossing paths with C.V. Riley. Eventually, T.V. Munson's name makes its way across the Atlantic. This would have been something that the French would have said, okay, where in the world, where where are some experts? And so they, to my knowledge, contacted him based on his experience and his viticultural expertise. And that expertise came in clutch. Not only did French vineyards need to find a vine resistant to phylloxera, they needed another vine that could thrive specifically in the chalky limestone soil of the French cognac region. Well, really, we have to talk about the soil in the hill country. And the hill country is to the west of Austin, Texas. So uh, the central hill country has a lot of limestone soil. Limestone soils are uh, tolerant of high pHs. And so, you know, that again uh, would have translated into something that would have worked well in France. This was T.V. Munson's moment. The master of hybrid vines chance had come, and he was ready. After a false hope in a miracle vine, Munson found the key. They kept at it and kept persevering and came up with a, 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 um, a hybrid, yet another hybrid, from Texan um, grapevines. This new vine's rootstock thrived in limestone soil, making it a good choice for the production in cognac. The light at the end of the tunnel is in sight, and we have our three proposed solutions. Let's knock these out one at a time. First, planting American vines that are phylloxera-resistant in France. What happened was, though, they brought more phylloxera with them on their roots because they were shipped <laughs> across the Atlantic alive. So it was a disaster, an absolute disaster. The incoming vines ended up spreading more phylloxera and wiping out swaths of European vines. And the American vines that did take did not meet the approval of the sophisticated palate of a French enophile. The French didn't like it. They called it the le goût de renard. The taste of fox. They could taste what they described as fox piss through the. <laughs> I'm very so sorry. Or they are more more genteely framboise, which is which is um, what is framboise? Straw uh, raspberry. Mm. A, a taint, a funny taste. They didn't like. Solution one is a no go. Plan B is to hybridize American and French vines. The problem there is it takes a long time. That leaves us with Plan C cut the resistant root off of an American vine, 
and the top portion of the French vine and insert them into each other like a wedge or two slim triangular puzzle pieces. Wrap that new joint together and watch it heal and grow. If you take this forward and you put American rootstock with a Bitis vinifera um, skion growing above the ground, you will have a, remarkably and wonderfully, have a vine which makes exactly what went before and yet is resistant to blocks around the ground and makes wine as good as pre-1860. And a lot of persuading had to be done about this, but it did work, it did work. And France breathed a huge sigh of relief. Bottom half is resistant to the devastating bug, top half produces high quality wine. Grafting is a success. With some convincing, French vignerons dig up their vines and replant with the new international fusions. U.S. researchers and winemakers are now shipping rootstock out to Europe as quickly as they can, from Missouri, Texas, and elsewhere. Put them on a rail car, get them onto a boat, and get them into Europe where they can go ahead and graft on to help control this uh, phylloxera, because the phylloxera then does not have a um, a source to chew on or, or to feed off of, so it kind of started dying out. So, who actually saved the French wine industry? Missouri or Texas? I think it was a combination, really. And Munson was involved with Riley. They worked, worked together, and uh, so Munson kind of worked, I think, in Texas with some of their varietals. Riley started working with folks in Missouri and around the Midwest. The French wine industry was saved by Americans, whether it was Texans or, or Missourians, it doesn't matter because they had a different function. They, they saved various aspects of, of what was going on. The redemption came from the United States for a catastrophe that was gobbling up the, as it were, the old world. While saving French wine came down to more than just Planchon, Riley, and Munson, the Americans are well-remembered in France with statues and other marks. If you go to Mount Pelaire, France, uh, there's, a, there's a statue to the people of Missouri saving the wine industry. Yeah, it's kind of unique. Uh, uh, it's an older lady and a younger lady. This, this uh, younger lady's holding this older lady, and the older lady's representing the people of France, reaching out to the New World, to the young lady, to Missouri. Munson is recognized, too. They, you know, awarded him the, the Legion of Honor, the highest uh, civilian uh, medal that can be awarded. On top of this honor, Denison, Texas is now sister cities with Cognac, France. Both the Missourian and Texan have achieved a near legendary status in the eyes of France. They appear as sort of allegorical figures um, around, <laughs> around the statues of Frenchmen. And it's interesting, when you do talk to people in France, they know, I think they know more about Missouri's wine history than a lot of Missourians do. Today, it's hard to pin down an exact percentage of how many vines are grafted to American rootstock. And while phylloxera still rears its head up occasionally, experts say since the majority of Vitis vinifera vines are grafted to resistant rootstock, whether American in origin or to another recently discovered resistant species, the wine industry isn't as in peril anymore, at least from phylloxera.
Show Me the State is produced at KBIA at the Missouri School of Journalism. Will Robinson produced this episode. The supervising producer and reporter is me, Christopher Husted. Our managing editor is Ryan Femuliner. Our theme music was created by Columbia band Loose Loose. Christy Campbell's book is called The Botanist and the Vintner, How Wine Was Saved for the World. The romantic era classical music you heard in this episode comes from French composers Debussy and Franck. Thank you to our classical music advisor, Sarah Dresser. Thanks also to the Reynolds Journalism Institute and the Kinder Institute on Constitutional Democracy.